Welcome to the Littler Labor and Employment Podcast, conversations about employment and labor law issues that impact the workplace. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome back to yet another episode of Candid COVID Conversations. This is Nancy Johnson again. For those of you who are just joining us for the first time, welcome. I am an attorney at Littler Mendelssohn's Orlando office. Littler is the world's largest law firm dedicated to labor and employment law advice, counsel, and litigation assistance. With me here today and helping me out in these podcasts is the office managing shareholder in our Orlando office, Kimberly Dowd. Hi, everyone. I'm happy to be back here today with Nancy. We've had a few weeks off, a spring break, if you will, and a lot has happened. In the past, Nancy and I have provided information regarding the impact of COVID-19 on employers in terms of paid time off, what's been happening in Florida generally, several sessions about vaccines and vaccination programs, and most recently, the American Rescue Plan and how that affected employers. So um, I know vaccines are rolling along. We've got about a third of the country with at least one vaccination right now, and different guidance and everything is coming out by the CDC by the day. But I thought Kimberly and I could kind of turn our attention back to Florida, focus on Florida a little bit more, because there's been a couple of developments here that have gotten some national headlines. So first, I thought we could talk about the latest executive order from our governor relating to vaccine passports and what that might mean for businesses and for employers out there. And then we can move back a little bit in time and talk about Florida's liability shield law that just passed and was signed by Governor DeSantis about a week and a half ago and what that means to all of our listeners. Yes, and we know employers still struggle with continuing sick leave issues and like to keep up with the latest guidance regarding safety and travel. So as always, if you are listening to this, feel free to reach out and ask us any questions you may have. All right, so let's start with the big one, Executive Order 2181 that Governor DeSantis signed prohibiting COVID-19 passports. So in case you're unfamiliar with this, you know, COVID-19 passports are this idea that's, you know, the a lot of airlines are requiring, cruise lines have talked about requiring different sporting events, requiring some sort of electronic um, evidence or proof that an individual has received a vaccination. Those have been bandied about, even you know, big stores have talked about providing things. Tech companies are developing apps for the same. The federal government has indicated that they like the idea, but they do not support it as a mandate of any type. So in the meantime, Florida's governor came out and promised a few weeks ago when the actually when the liability shield law went into effect, he promised that he was going to use his executive powers to ban these COVID-19 vaccination passports and that he would at the same time also work to get legislation passed that would prohibit the use of the passports within Florida. Well, the first has happened now as of last Friday, and he ha- continues to promise the second. So perhaps more to come on that. But let's first get to what he actually did do. So on the face of this executive order, it does several things. The first thing it does is it has a broad prohibition directed only toward Florida government entities and subdivisions, and it prohibits them from issuing vaccine passports, vaccine passes, or other standardized documentation for the purpose of certifying an individual's COVID-19 vaccination status to a third party or otherwise publishing or sharing any individual's COVID-19 vaccination record or similar health information. 
Yes, and then next, the executive order has three prohibitions directed at businesses. The first of which prohibits businesses in Florida from requiring patrons or customers to provide any documentation certifying COVID-19 vaccination or post-transmission recovery to gain access to, entry upon, or service from the business. And that's sort of the big one directed towards businesses, right? And then the next one kind of flips back to directing the prohibition towards government agencies and talks, and this time talks to any agency under the governor's direction. So any agency that reports directly to Governor DeSantis, they are now directed to work to ensure businesses comply with the order. And then it suspends any Florida statute on its face. It says, I, you know, suspend any Florida statute provision that may restrict you from requiring compliance with my last order. And then the executive order provides all businesses must comply with the order to be eligible for grants or contracts funded through state revenue. In addition to the mandates, it's also worth noting briefly that the order was made effective immediately, so as of last Friday, and it is to remain in effect until Florida's public health crisis, as declared by the governor, is over. So, Nancy, before we drill down into the details of those four mandates, the governor included several whereas clauses prefacing the executive order. Some of those clauses are contrary to other governmental agency opinions and are controversial in terms of accuracy. For example, one whereas clause provides, quote, so-called COVID-19 passports reduce individual freedom and will harm patient privacy, end quote. This statement, while perhaps the opinion of some, is not factual and is nevertheless irrelevant to the mandates. As we will talk about more later, this statement and some others may have been included as a preemptive argument against a constitutional challenge to the executive order itself. Yep, that's right, Kimberly. So, but let's let's get down to the heart of this. So, what what everybody listening might want to know is this order enforceable? Is it going to hold up to scrutiny? And then, if it is or isn't, what do we do about it? Right. So, there has been a lot of national attention debate on that question. You know, it's it's a public <laughs> quagmire. It's a it's a new question for everyone to kind of contemplate. And but frankly, as as I've looked at this more, it may not really matter. A, depending on whether the governor tries to enforce it or not, because as you know, some prior executive orders of his, he has put out there and then not really enforced, and that's yet to be determined. So assuming that the state does attempt to enforce this, though, let's let's look at the first prohibition first, the one that applies to government entities prohibiting them from creating these vaccine passports, and then the other three that affect businesses are a little bit different. Yes, as to the first prohibition, it seems very unlikely a Florida state agency would, at this point, issue a quote-unquote vaccine passport. In fact, when you get your vaccine in Florida, you receive a vaccination record card from the CDC, not from a Florida agency. So really, this prohibition appears to be much ado about nothing and a headline grab rather than a real attempt to actually affect anything. Further, on its face, the prohibition appears to conflict directly with the Florida's very broad government in the sunshine public records laws. So that first prohibition really isn't going to affect our audience much, may not be anything, and probably is is not going to stand up to scrutiny anyway. So let's go ahead and move on to the prohibitions that are directed towards employers and their businesses within Florida. So that, that second mandate, or the first one really affecting employers, 
that you had originally read to us really talks to entities and, and prohibits them, prohibits any business, quote unquote, from requiring vaccination proof or proof of post-transmission status. That's kind of the big one here, right? And then the other two are mandates which are directed at how to enforce that one. There is a lot of good-natured legal debate ongoing about whether that first mandate, the the big mandate, would really survive scrutiny, though. The lawyers listening here may remember back to their con law days in, in law school and remember that if a government mandate impinges on a freedom, such action may be subject to different types of scrutiny, right? We've got strict scrutiny and, and such, depending on the right that it allegedly impinges. So this goes back to your prior comment, Kimberly, about what the initial whereas clauses, because... Governor DeSantis tries to set this up and tries to say, hey, this is an a you know privacy right or it's a religious right. He tries to set it up and put it into that strict scrutiny category by by saying that the potential action by a business, the action of requiring vaccination proof, is an infringement on a religious right or a right to privacy, two rights that would get that strict scrutiny. It's kind of a, just an interesting, you know, constitutional law quagmire that, that we're in. However, in, you know, challenging this executive order either under the United States or the Florida Constitution, an argument could be made that the order impinges on a business's right to effectively make rules to ensure its customers and employees remain safe, too. There's, it kind of is, goes both ways. Right. And many of us are familiar with the 2019 Supreme Court decision approving a bakery's right to refuse to bake a cake for a gay customer's wedding based on a purported exercise of religious beliefs. Well, here, it appears Governor DeSantis tried to make this a challenge to a potential action by a business requiring vaccination proof as infringing on others' religious rights. Unfortunately, this scenario is turned on its head and does not exactly support the actual mandate. Yep. And then, you know, in reality, that whole argument about infringing on religious freedom or privacy rights or even the right of, of entities to ensure that its employees remain safe, all of that may just be a red herring anyway, because, you know, since 1905, the, the United States Supreme Court has held and has never wavered from its position that a state can require vaccinations and proof of such. And Governor DeSantis was asked about this in, in a press conference about whether he would stop requiring the proof of vaccinations for public school children as a parallel to his position here. He just pivoted. He, he avoided answering. There was no answer to it. And there really just doesn't seem to be a congruent position that he can take here. Um, it's certainly not expected that all vaccination proof will be excused in the state of Florida. I think it is. it would be easy to make an argument that COVID possesses a greater public health threat than does measles or any of those other vaccinations that our kids get all, you know, just to enter public school. So I, I, at the end of the day, that seems like that's probably going to be the better argument anyway. That's a good point, Nancy. But there's yet another way to avoid all of this. Let's look at the actual language used by the governor. He prohibits requiring proof to gain entry or access. The simple fix here may be to provide patrons and customers another option. For example, require either vaccination proof or a negative COVID test for entry or access. This would not violate the executive order and seems much easier. Yep, that's a that's a really good point. And I've seen in some news articles that some entities are already starting to take that approach. So that's right. Yep. Yep. So 
Let's then look briefly at the other two provisions, the two that really are meant to, I don't know if they're there to signal sort of how the governor thinks that he might enforce or to sort of give give entities sort of like, here's what might happen to you if you if you don't comply with the other provision. But let's let's look at those. The first one, again, talks to state agencies and, and attempts to simply suspend a Florida statute with really not much comment. The second warns businesses that they won't be eligible for grants or contracts funded through state revenue if they don't comply. So the first seems like the least likely of any provision here to actually survive a legal challenge. The governor's ability to simply suspend unspecified Florida statutes without justification is, as my boys would say, sus or suspect (laughs) at best. That's right. And then the second, you know, provision saying, hey, you might not get state revenue if you don't comply, it it may also very easily be subject to legal challenge. But on a more basic level, it seems very difficult to police to actually enforce. And notably, it is future facing, too. It doesn't say any current funding already approved will be held back. It's just you won't be eligible in the future for state revenue. And and remember, it doesn't talk about county revenue, revenue coming from any other source. So, you know, federal revenues, county revenues, city revenues are not even part of this. Okay. So assuming the executive order does survive scrutiny, or at least until someone actually calls for that scrutiny, what should employers do? Right now, as we indicated, the worst case scenario we expect is any agency reporting to the governor, for example, a licensing agency, being directed to ensure compliance. This may theoretically give a licensing agency, for example, the right to suspend a liquor license if they deem a business to be non-compliant. Now, the odds of this happening in the face of clear due process and other problems will keep this possibility beyond remote, we think, but it is one of the worst case scenarios theoretically possible. That's right. And then as I just mentioned too, don't forget that if there are any private entities that rely heavily on on state funding, um, as I just mentioned, it's not county funding or city funding. So don't worry about those things. But it, but if there are any private entities that rely heavily on state funding, this th- this may be something that it's just not a risk worth taking to them no matter what. Like the, the chance, while remote, like you said, I, I agree, it's probably remote, but it is a chance. And if it's not worth it, it may not be worth it. Thinking twice, we we do not anticipate these consequences will likely play out. First, as Nancy alluded to earlier, Governor DeSantis has a long history, at least as long as the pandemic, of not really enforcing his executive orders. It is probable he will not even try to enforce this one. But even if he does, taking the simple step of allowing an alternative, proof of a negative COVID test, instead of mandatory proof of vaccination, would seem to avoid the problem altogether, even if the state does try to enforce this executive order. Okay, so we may be revisiting this down the road if Governor DeSantis continues his path towards trying to get some legislation on this. But for now, um, let's turn our attention then to the other new Florida action, the new law that Governor DeSantis signed on March 29th. Um, He signed Senate Bill 72 into law. It's now Florida Statute 768.38. And that law is was to protect Florida individuals and businesses against lawsuits claiming COVID-19 related damages, injuries, or even death. Yes, and this law protects individuals, business entities, including charitable organizations and not-for-profits, 
educational institutions, government entities, healthcare providers, religious entities, and includes the following key elements. First, the law shifts the burden of proof to the plaintiff to establish liability for COVID transmission. Second, it imposes a heightened pleading standard requiring a plaintiff to plead his or her complaint with particularity. And third, at the time of filing the complaint, the law requires a plaintiff to submit an affidavit signed by a Florida licensed physician, which attests to the physician's belief within a reasonable degree of medical certainty that the plaintiff's COVID-19 related damages, injuries or death occurred as a result of the defendant's acts or omissions. Yep. So there's a couple of, you know, procedural things you just talked about making it harder to bring these types of lawsuits. And, and we know that hundreds of lawsuits in Florida have already been filed. And in fact, we're still the number three state in the country in terms of lawsuits. And that includes employment lawsuits, but personal injury, everything that are that have some basis from COVID-19. So there is a lot here. So there's those procedural things. And then ultimately, the shifting of the burden. So ultimately, with this law, a defendant, so per, possibly an employer or a business or whatever, will not be liable for COVID-19 related damages, injuries, or death if the defendant made a good faith effort to substantially comply with authoritative or controlling, at the time, controlling government-issued health standards or guidelines. So in other words, the defendant will not be liable unless the defendant's acts or omissions constituted gross negligence by clear and convincing evidence as established by the plaintiff. And the law also shortens the statute of limitations for any tort claim seeking damages for COVID-19 related injuries to one year. Yep. So that's the law in a nutshell. There, there's some kind of question still how it applies to, you know, employment claims, workers' comp claims, things like that, things that might affect our listeners here. So quick note that, you know, with regard to Florida's workers' comp claims, as I think I've mentioned before on this podcast, you know, under the Florida workers' comp scheme, there there was already a burden, a higher burden that the plaintiff had to establish and, and the plaintiff had to establish that the employer was essentially grossly negligent. So it's still, it doesn't change the already existing burden in Section 440 for occupational exposure cases. The claimants already have that burden to prove that they sustained COVID-19 in the course and the scope of their work. So it doesn't appear to change the clear and convincing evidence standard either in that statute. So typically an employee who caught COVID in the course and scope of the work would be required to file a worker's comp claim, but they still already have that heightened standard. So this doesn't really affect that. And the new legislation could impact gross negligence claims brought against employers as employees could bring a claim in state court for gross negligence if the employer deliberately intended to injure the employee. This was already an existing exception to the requirement that such injuries be litigated in the workers' compensation system in Florida. The heightened pleadings and evidentiary standards created in this new legislation should provide even further protection for employers sued as a result of employees who allege they contracted the virus due to the business's gross negligence. It is unclear whether this law could impact vicarious liability cases or other negligence claims related to other aspects of employment law. 
so we'll keep our eye on that and, and continue to update the listeners about anything else that we see. But in the meantime, employers should continue to require their employees to abide by federal, state, and local guidelines, including all of CDC and, and state healthcare agency guidance and, and recommendations regarding the, their operations during the pandemic in order to limit their liability for such cases. Considerations might be updating handbooks still exists in existing company policies, having a COVID policy at all, making sure that, that you know, you're engaging in appropriate PPE, et cetera. All those things may help further show good faith effort in order to comply with the existing regulations, further supporting an employer's immunity or defenses at the very least from such lawsuits. Well, Nancy, I think we've given our listeners a lot to think about here. While the media coverage of the governor's ban on vaccine passports may have signaled employers should once again shift plans, the executive order does not affect the employer-employee relationship, and we still strongly recommend keeping records of employee vaccinations if possible. Remember, while asking for proof of vaccination is not a medical inquiry, the record itself is a health record. So keep it in your employee's medical file. But it also is okay to keep a master spreadsheet, which records employee vaccination status. Just keep access to such record restricted to those who need to know. And if, if you as a business have considered already asking customers for vaccination proof to use your services or enter your stores, this executive order does not mean that you have to abandon all hope on, on those plans. In fact, from what we've heard from most of our clients and just in general is that employers are largely just going forward with those plans anyway. And such a request by an employer or by a store to their to their customers, people who are going to be entering closed spaces, is arguably more consistent with other federal government guidance anyway, with CDC guidance anyway. And it may be a good way to show the good faith effort to avoid liability damages from the liability shield law. So, it, you know, if if you kind of think about it, you know, maybe you, you provide, hey, you can either give me a negative test or vaccination proof. That's one thing you can do, definitely. The other thing you can do is is maybe just go forward with it. Well, we hope this episode has been helpful. I just wanted to remind our listeners, they can reach either of us via email at kdoud at littler.com or najohnson at littler.com, or we're both on LinkedIn. We're happy to answer any follow-up or additional questions on this or any other COVID-related topics, and we will continue to bring our candid analysis your way to help everyone keep moving forward. Remember, it's a new day in America. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.